What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. I remember standing on a baseball field one time hearing a coach yell out at a base runner, if you hesitate, you lose. You know, that's true in baseball, and it's also true in life, and that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, today is going to be a great one. We get to sit down with Pastor Stephen Chandler and talk about his newest book, Stop Waiting for Permission. Inside every person, there is a creative, unique genius that God is waiting on us to use. And today we get to sit down with Pastor Stephen, who travels the country, uh, who speaks at an amazing church in Maryland, Union Church, but he also joins across with some of America's greatest leaders and speaks at conferences across the country. And his book, Stop Waiting for Permission, is so timely and it is so good talking about the unique God-given purpose that God has given each person. And today we're going to we're going to dive into that. So maybe you found yourself today sort of waiting, sort of watching. My prayer is that this podcast pushes you off center. So I don't know where you're listening from. I don't know where you're watching from today, but I hope you got space to pull out a notebook pull out a journal, take some notes, and listen to my conversation with Pastor Stephen Chandler talking about his newest book, Stop Waiting for Permission. Well, Pastor Stephen, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. I'm so honored to be here. Thanks for all that you do. Well, I am excited. And, you know, I love to talk to preacher's kids who turned out good. I love it. It gives it. it I, so my kids are 28 and 25. And when I read it, I was reading your story. So I want, to, I want you to go back, unpack this a little bit. What did your dad do right that influenced your faith and helped you out in your journey? Yeah, well, I, I think a couple of things. One, uh, my parents never forced me into ministry. It was never, hey, this is the family business. This is what you have to do. But here's what they did say. You have to maximize your life mm. and you have to follow the call of God on your life. So I think that that, that was one, not pressure, but giving me focus on purpose. Yep. Um, two, they lived out a relationship with God instead of preaching to me. So it wasn't the, hey, don't sin, don't do this, don't go there, go do. It's just, hey, did you talk to God about that? Hey, hey, how do you think God feels about this? Mm. Hey, here's what God is dealing with me in my life and all that other good stuff. And then the other thing, it, it's other people that are not pastor's kids may not like this, but that's all right. I just got opportunities to lead in my dad's church that I wouldn't have gotten if I wasn't the pastor's kid. I got to sit into rooms. I got exposure to things that stretched me and caused me to mature faster uh, wow. than your average person. The other thing that my dad, uh, I think, played a big factor is my dad actually owned his own business, had a uh, courier company that ran, you know, all over the Maryland area, different employees and all that other good stuff. And 
I am, uh, my sister, older sister, is uh, married to a senior pastor, and then I'm a senior pastor. My other three siblings are not in full-time ministry, but all own their own businesses in some type of capacity. Wow. And that entrepreneurial spirit just runs through our entire family from seeing our parents run their own business. I love so when you were growing up, take me back to high school, Stephen, what did you dream you were going to be? So your parents oh, leave you these there. open doors. Where did where <laughs> yeah. did you see your life going? So believe it or not, I wanted to uh, be an entrepreneur. I wanted to own my own restaurant, and uh, it, it's probably the most random thought. But I just love, and I'm I'm living it out fully in ministry, which is crazy. But I love creating experiences for people. I just love the idea of creating an environment where people could come and laugh and relax and connect with friends, eat all that other good stuff. And then one of my greatest passions is the challenge of scaling. Mm. I love the complexity and the problems that success creates. Oh man, we've got too many customers. Oh man, we've got too many employees and culture is beginning to dissipate. We we're, we're losing our vision because our vision has gotten spread thin. Or I love those type of challenges that come. There's challenges that come from losing. That's right. But there's also challenges that come from winning. And I love those. That's so good. So you find church, you're able to do a lot of that in creating culture and creating an experience for folks. Is that one of the drivers for you of what you it enjoy about it? Unbelievable how all of my passions that I thought I was going to live out in business are being lived out in ministry. And that's wow. why one of the things that I always say is when you have a vision for your life, make sure you hold it loosely. Don't have this vice script of this is where my life has to go and this is how it has to play out because you have no idea how God will fully fulfill you in an area that you never saw coming. And I mean, talking about scaling issues and problems and vision and creating environments for people ultimately to find hope, peace, and purpose in Christ, I am living out 100% of the dreams that I had in my heart in an area, quite frankly, that I wanted nothing to do with because I saw the challenges <laughs> my dad faced in ministry. That's right. And I said, I'm going to do everything else but ministry. My goal was to be filthy rich and a tithe to the church, but not lead a church. And here I am leaving a church. God has a sense of humor. Well, I know Andy Sandley told me, he said, if I ever get two candidates and one's a preacher's kid and one isn't, and they're equal, I'll always choose the preacher's kid for a job. And I said, why? He said, because they've seen all the crap and they chose to do it. They saw all <laughs> the junk their dads dealt with and they chose that route. Then you take over for your dad. Your dad passes yeah. the baton to you. You have another guy, his dad passed the baton to him. And then you guys merged the churches. How was how was that process of that merger and how did all that come together? Yep. So uh, I became the senior pastor of my dad's church in 2011. Um, I would say it was about 50 people. My dad has a little bit of contention with that number there. So let's say 50 <laughs> to 80 people. Go, go 80. Just for your dad. Go 80. Come on, man. Listen, we're getting we'll old. Go you got to help us out a little bit. <laughs> 80 on Easter. But anyway. Um... <laughs> That's fantastic. 
So I pastored that church. It was called Destiny Harvest Church uh, from 2011 up until 2020. And the story there, my goodness, was a story of God doing a work in me Mm. before he could do a work through me. Mm. The first three years of the church, we grew from 80-ish to about 400 people. And then for the next two and a half years, we did not grow by one person. I mean, two and a half years of adding 10 people and losing 10 people in the same Mm. Sunday. We were just completely stuck. And I tried to quit. I tried to find somebody else to pastor the church. I find I tried to get a large church in town to come take us on as a campus. And I always say, you know, we talk about God opening doors, but we never preach about how God will shut a door in your face and lock mm. you in a situation until you learn what he's trying to teach you. That's and I good. learned in that season that God had to work some people pleasing out of me. He had to work some ungodly ambition. Why do you want to grow? Why do you want to move forward to tell people you could when they didn't believe in you to accomplish something that nobody thought that you could accomplish or to fulfill the purpose that God has given you here on earth? And Mm. it's so important, no matter what vocation we're in as leaders, that we actually analyze our motives and make sure that our motives are pure and surrendered to God because unhealthy motives will take you to an unhealthy place in life. Yeah, you'll be successful, but you'll lose your health. You'll lose your marriage. You'll lose the respect of your kids as a result of your ambition because you were driving at an unhealthy pace. How are you Fast able to- forward. Yeah, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, 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 go ahead. No, how do you identify that unhealthy motive? How did you, how were you able to pull out the mirror and go, man, this isn't good. This is a dark yeah. spot for me. So there's a couple of keys. Um, And basically, when you're seeing unhealth pop up in other areas of your life, for example, a lot of us that have unhealthy motives that were just driven, ambitious, but not to fulfill the call of God in our life, but to prove somebody wrong or the fear of failure or whatever, we can never celebrate our wins. When you find a leader that's winning and they can't celebrate the win, they're, listen, we won 103, and I'm going to talk about the two baskets I missed instead of the 100 points I scored. And I and here's the problem. Being a pessimist is actually what makes us successful. That's right. Focusing on the things that did not go well instead of the things that did go well actually moves us forward as an organization. But what we have to understand is celebrating is healthy. Breathing, resting, patting yourself on the back. Don't stay there. Don't. Paul said, I press forward. I count those wins as nothing to take hold of what God has for me next. So I'm not saying that, you you know, you get around those people that they won 15 years ago and all they can talk about is that one win. I'm not saying to, to make a memorial on that win, but it is unhealthy to win, to go on to the next challenge and not acknowledge I put in hard work and saw great results. Um, Your body will tell you your health will begin to break down when you're running at an unhealthy uh, manner. Uh, If you don't have any friends, you are running at an unhealthy pace. Yeah. If there's nobody and, and, you know, we say things that it's true, but it's not true. For example, it's lonely at the top. Being a leader is just a lonely position. Um, yes, that's true. It's difficult to find people that are used to the level of pressure 
and mm. responsibility that you have to manage. So there's a lot of people that can't relate with the life of a leader. But to say there's nobody on planet Earth that believes in you, that has your back, that that can understand the pressure that you're under, that's just not healthy. It's just mm. not true. There are other people with great responsibility, maybe not in your vocation. Some of my best friends are CEOs and attorneys and doctors that are under similar pressure, but in a different field than I am. So you'll see relationships breaking down, the respect of your kids, marriages that are either unhealthy, neglected, or whatever it may be. If you're unable to win and manage a healthy life at the same time, your motivations are unhealthy. So you get together and go, we're gonna, we're gonna get this thing. Me and Pastor Jimmy, we are gonna merge our two churches, our father's churches, and we're yeah. gonna merge, and which is a whole different dynamic. And I get it, because I, I started the church where I'm in now, I helped start it. Mm -hmm. It's a whole different dynamic. So you merge these two churches. What has been the outflow of that? Yeah. As far as yeah. you know, you've got all the dynamics that go with it. Are you glad you did it? Are you glad you oh. got to the end of yourself on that? I would do it a hundred times over wow. again. And here's why the merge took place uh, April of 2021. As we're recording this podcast, we are in November of 2022. And we have seen 114% growth since that merge. And we're in a season on the other side of this global pandemic where a lot of churches are struggling get, to get back to 100% of their That's attendance right. pre-pandemic. Right. And yep. there, there's not conversations about growth. It's conversations about how do we restore all that we lost? And it would not have happened if you did not have two churches and two leaders who said we care more about the vision of reaching more people than we care about who gets the credit for it mm -hmm. or whose logo gets to sit on the top of the, um, you know, church sign or whatever it may be. And whether you're leading a sports team, whether you're leading a organization or whatever it may be, if your top leaders are more in focused on their stat sheet than the final score in the game, you cannot win with people like that. Mm. You have to have team members that say, hey, if this isn't the day where I fill up my stat sheet, but we're still going to get a W, I'm here for it. Because ultimately what matters is to win more than my personal accolades. And I love this. And so, and I even wonder, so we're going to talk about your new book, Stop Waiting for Permission. If the merge hadn't happened, if Pastor Steven stays in that unhealthy place that you found yourself where your motives weren't always, you were preaching mm -hmm. and teaching and doing the right things, but things behind the scenes, the, the radar wasn't as good. Do you think God would have been able to birth this vision to write this book in your heart? So, <laughs> uh, no. Uh, the fun thing about this book is it took me 12 months to write and 12 years to live. <laughs> and, Great. Well, well and it, said. It, 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 it's really what I learned the hard way. Mm. And my passion for this book is that people can learn from my pain and my mistake and they can get on to progress, success, and maximizing their potential a lot faster than I did. If I hadn't gotten over myself, if we had not done this merge, 
I think Destiny Church would still have been a great church. It just would have been growing at a much slower rate. Mm. By my estimation, this teaming up fast forwarded the vision in God in my life that God had for me by about five years. Wow. We got about a five year jump in time by making this decision and taking this up. And I, I want to lie to anybody who's listening and make it sound like it was easy. Like it was painless. Like it was simple. It was just this two humble men that came together and <laughs> laid down their vision for the glory of God. That is not how it went yeah. down whatsoever. There was ego, there was personality, there was difficulty. There were, you know, church members that said, Hey, this is not what I signed up That's for. Right. I'm, you know, heading down the street, all that other good stuff. But when all the dust settled, man, it's so worth it mm. because we're, twice as effective twice as being able to make the impact. we fed 1500 people just this week in thanksgiving outreach That's that neither funny. of our churches would have been able to do as individual organizations and ultimately oh man i'm getting trouble but that's that's just kind of who i am if there's an avenue that would make you more effective at the vision that you say that you have and you don't take that avenue, then you're not really committed to the vision. Mm. I'm not saying abandoning your vision, changing who God's called you to be, or, or, or completely diverting just for progress. But if there's a decision, if there's a staff member, that if you let them go, it would make your organization more effective. Or if there's an area as a CEO or a coach or whatever, that if you released that to a staff member and trusted them to make those decisions, mm -hmm. it would make you that much more effective and efficient. And you're unwilling to make that decision. You're not really committed to the vision that you're trying to sell your team on. You're more so committed to your comfort. That's a powerful statement. And you even think about what James said to the man who knows the right thing to do and he does not do it to him. It's a sin. And you, and you yeah. think in the area of leadership, you don't do that. The kingdom looks different. The lives mm -hmm. that have been changed. I was going through y'all's website last night, the lives that have been changed. And I heard you say on Carrie Newhoff, winning is two things. It's helping lost people find Jesus and it's helping found people become more like Christ. How did those two statements play into what your purpose here is on earth. What would you say? Well, so here's where God really arrested my heart. Um, you know, grew up pastor's kid, you know, got saved before I was born. That's not true, but you get the drift. <laughs> Didn't have a choice. At, <laughs> did have a choice. At 16, I run across this verse in scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, hmm. for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you open a future. And it blew my mind hmm. because I didn't know that God knew me, saw me, more or less had a distinct impact that he created me to have here on earth. And up to that point, my faith in God was all about not going to hell. Like, if you don't go to hell, you won. <laughs> and I didn't realize, no, there's actually purpose. And then it struck me how many people who say that they believe in Jesus as their Lord do not understand that he has a purpose for them. That's right. That there's an impact that he's called them to have here on earth. And let me really mess you up. And everybody's purpose is not to be a pastor. Whenever we use this word calling, 
we always kind of connected to the ministry. Mm -hmm. I was called Mm -hmm. to the ministry. I think God calls people to banking and he calls people to the tech world and he calls people to the the sports world and all these different, it's just as much of a calling. It's just as much ordained by God and you will find just as much kingdom fulfillment when you discover why God made you and what he had you. So for me, my passion is to help people who don't know Jesus to know Jesus as their Lord and savior. But I find my greatest fulfillment when I'm able to connect people to purpose, Mm, when mm. I'm able to help people see here's what God wants to do in your marriage that will glorify the kingdom of God and bring fulfillment to your life. Here's what God wants to do in your business. Here's what God wants to do in this area. You would not believe how many business leaders have made it to the top of their career and feel so empty because they haven't been able to find the kingdom purpose in their vocation. And they feel like I got to quit my job to go find purpose somewhere else instead of helping them understand. No, right where you're sitting right there, God has a use for you in that career, in that job with those employees to have a kingdom impact on their life that a pastor could never have. I don't know if you know Jordan Rayner. Jordan um, has written a new book called The Word Before Work, and his whole, he's in the tech industry and done very, very well in Mm -hmm. it. But his whole passion is people finding their place in the marketplace. And he was in a conversation with Tim Keller. I just had Jordan on last week, and Keller said in the early church, 80% of conversions happened outside the church walls. Like they did not happen. They happened in the marketplace that it was the, it was the man or the woman at their business or at their office telling about their faith. Do you believe we can live out our ultimate Christian life if we don't know our purpose? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I think when you, when when you, when you study scripture, uh, what a lot of people don't realize is when they get to heaven, they're going to hear two questions. What did you do with my son, Jesus? And what did you do with the time that I gave you on earth? And what we're ultimately going for is to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Mm. Let me really kind of stick my neck out. I would dare say that some of the greatest pieces of art, Mona Lisa, the Sistine Chapel, some of the greatest inventions, the vehicle, the airplane, different things like that, came from societies that had a biblical-based foundation and that actually, not saying that all of those inventors were Christians, but actually that it was biblical standards and biblical truths that created the margin in people's lives to come up with these inventions that have shifted our experience here on earth Mm. exponentially. I think if God is a creator, He is the source of the greatest creations that we will ever see here on earth. So it actually is tapping into my kingdom purpose that allows me to make an impact here on earth that I wouldn't be able to make without Christ. You you made a comment in the book, and I thought it was so good, Pastor Steve, and you said, our God doesn't make small people, and he calls us all to greatness. Yeah. Why is that so formative? For you, even as you look out at your crowd on Sunday morning or you sit at a coffee shop across from a business leader, 
why is it so important that not only you see God doesn't make small people, but calls them to greatness, but they see God doesn't make small people and calls us all to greatness? I think there's a not so subtle undertone in our generation, and I believe it's from the enemy, that demonizes success. Hmm. That if someone's successful, they've cheated, they've manipulated, they have somehow taken advantage of other people to accomplish their success. And yes, there are those that are wealthy, that have accolades and all that, that they did not get there with the highest level of integrity. But what we don't realize is by saying that and making that the primary message, we are taking away the impact that God has called people, particularly believers, to have here on earth. Genesis 127, let us make man in our image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female. If God is a great God, a majestic God, an excellent God, and we were made in his image, why would he make invisible people? Mm. Why would he mm. make insignificant people? Why would he make people that their only purpose here on earth is to find personal peace and personal happiness? And that's all there is to it. Here's the problem. We have confused complacency and contentment. Yep. Contentment is I don't need accomplishments to feel value. My value doesn't come from my net worth my marital status, or how large my company is, my value comes from the fact that I was made in the image of God. And I find fullness in my relationship with him. You will not find value in life anywhere else outside of your relationship with God. That said, complacency is not, I don't need anything else. Complacency is, I don't want anything else. Mm. And why would God put all of this gift, all of this talent, all of this ability in you if he did not have great things for you to accomplish here on earth? Saying, no, 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 I'm satisfied with where my life is. That is not humility. That's complacency. Mm. As you grow as a leader, so you, you watched your dad do it. You're doing it now. You do it alongside a great team. Y'all have got a great looking staff doing it alongside them. You know what we're called to. You know the greatness that God's called us to and the purpose God's called you to. What are the fears and doubts that still creep into your mind? You wrote the book. You've done sermon series on it. But when yes. your head's hitting the pillow at night and you're looking in the mirror and you're looking at your children and your beautiful wife and you're going, am I up for this task? Am, it, did God get the right person? What are some of the what are some of the things that go on in the engine room of your life that you know not only you deal with, but others deal with? Absolutely. You know, we 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 talk about the idea of courage. And when you think about some of the most courageous leaders in history, you think about the Winston Churchills, you think about the Abraham Lincolns or the Martin Luther King Juniors or whoever else it may be. Courage is not the absence of fear. Mm. Courage is refusing to allow fear to paralyze you. Mm. You ever heard the phrase, if you're scared, that's fine. Just, just, just do it scared. So I don't think there's a leader on planet Earth that doesn't face fear, fear of failure. Fear of whether they have what it takes, figure out fear of, yeah, I was able to figure out the last problem our organization faced and was able to get us through that problem. But I don't know 
what the next fear or next problem is going to look like. I was talking uh, to one of our members that's an exec at a, at a Fortune 500 company, and uh, they were saying, you know, when you get to this level uh, in corporate America, there's just an understanding that any day you could lose your job. Like, that's, that's right. just the reality of where we sit. That's just what happens at this level. For me, what fears do I have? Um, I think my greatest fear is leaving potential on the table. I think my greatest fear is that God gifted me to impact 10,000 people and I'm only able to impact four and I'm making numbers up, but but for some reason I'm not able to maximize the potential inside of me. The greatest football player ever to live in planet earth. Ray Lewis goes, I left it all on the field. Mm. I think my greatest fear is that I don't leave it all on the field. Um, I think another big fear uh, is that the pain of leadership becomes too much and I tap out. Ooh, um, buddy. Th- th- there's, there's no leader who's doing great things in their area that's not experiencing excruciating pain. Mm. Uh, it, it, it should be painful to let an employee go. And if it's not painful, you've lost your soul and you need to go find it. Mm. Uh, it's mm. painful to, to take a product off the shelf that, you know, you were committed to years ago and it's no longer serving the organization. It's painful to, you know, the different decisions that we have to make, but yet they're difficult and they're painful situations. And, and I've, I've learned, um, maybe this is not, uh, the, the podcast to delve into that, but, uh, through help with my counselor and (laughs) a bunch of other, uh, avenues I'm learning because my personality is just to pretend like the pain's not there. Yep. I'm not a very emotional person. I can muscle through almost everything. And I've had to learn pretending it's not painful doesn't mean it's not painful. That's right. And that pain is going to show itself in other areas. Um, so I've had to learn how to manage the pain, how to have hobbies and, and how to step away and rest and create margin in my life. So I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to tap out because it's too painful. I'm afraid that I'm not going to maximize my potential. But then I, you know, go home and my wife, says, hey, get it together. Get your head in the game. You were made for this. You're anointed for this. God's <laughs> called you for this. You've already accomplished more than you ever thought you would accomplish. How dare Amen. you second guess yourself now? And I've got friends in my life that are cheering me on. And I, I have a chapter in the book that talks about if you think you can accomplish your goal without a team around you, That's right. you're either naive or your goal is too small. You need people around you mm. that are wiping your brow, that are healing your wounds, that are putting you back in the game or you're not going to make it to the end. Well said. Well said. If you have not read the book Leadership Pain by Dr. Sam Chand, the greatest, the it is a must read for every pastor. Yep. And Sam, Sam nails it. And it, when he says, we only grow to the threshold of our pain. And w- many times we cap our leadership because we can't grow past that we can't grow past that level. And so acknowledging Absolutely. it, understanding it, huge. You know, in one of the chapters, you talk about uh you the fuel for the road trip to greatness. You discuss wrong fuels. You know, there's so many times we put the wrong yeah. fuel in for the road trip. What are some of the wrong fuels that leaders that you see continually try to put in the tank that won't get them to their destination? Absolutely. So I think one of the greatest uh, fuels that a lot of us have is fear. 
Mm. I just talked about how that's one of my fears, fear of failure, fear of, you know, that third grade teacher that told you you're not that smart. And now you're 50 trying to prove her wrong. And she doesn't even know who you are, or you're going to end up just like your dad. If that's a negative thing, or you're going to, you, we have these little things that we pick up in life, not realizing that we're now living our life, trying to outrun something someone said about us that they don't even remember and they don't even matter. So I think fear is a a negative motivator. Comparison Mm, is a negative mm. motivator. A lot of us, I just want to be better off than my parents were. I I just want to beat my siblings. I just want to be better than that person. And watch this. It's like Michael Jordan saying he's a better basketball player than Steven Chandler. Um, that is not something to take pride in. <laughs> Listen, see me on the soccer field. See me on the football field. But basketball, that was not my thing. That's so you're better than somebody, but that doesn't mean that you maximize your potential. Mm. So you, if, if competition is your motivator, you could actually grossly underperform and still beat the people around you because they weren't given the same talent level as you. What are some positive motivators? Passion. Mm. Passion is, this is what God made me for. This is what, and, and that's one of the themes of the book that people just don't realize that God put gifts, talents, abilities, and passion inside of you that you will never feel fulfilled until you start pointing your passion at the purpose that God has for you here on earth. Passion is a great motivator, man. I'm motivated by eternity. Mm. You you hear Mm. all the jokes of you've never seen a U-Haul following a hearse. (laughs) <laughs> that, 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 that everything that we do here on earth, as soon as we die, it's going to mean nothing. Uh, uh, Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes. He said, how wasteful, foolish is it for me to build all of this wealth for somebody else to enjoy? That's right. That's and right. how do I know if that person is going to be a good steward of all of my hard work? You think about, oh, man, we're heading into a season in America where some of our greatest CEOs that have built some of the greatest companies in our history are moving off the scene and are either retiring or being removed. (laughs) And what's the next guy or the next girl that's coming in doing with that company? It's this person's like, man, my legacy is being ruined. Well, hear me. If your legacy only is here on earth, at some point it's going to disappear. But if I'm leaving an eternal legacy, what does that mean? That means that my work and my life helped point somebody to Jesus. And thus, my impact doesn't end with earth here. But there's actually going to be people in heaven who are hearing from God, well done, thy good and faithful servant, because they met me. So, Mm. CEO, I'm not just talking about you led somebody to Jesus, which is step number one, but through your work ethic, through your risk-taking and living by faith, through your building a team, you taught somebody else how to maximize their potential. And they had a great impact on earth. So when they stand before God, they're able to say, yes, I met Jesus, but I also built this company that provided for 500 families. I, I invented this solution or whatever it may be. You're helping people walk out their purpose. And that has eternal reward. 
You you had two quotes in the book, Pastor Stephen, that grabbed me, and I thought they were so good. One was on purpose. You said, discovering the problem you were put on earth to solve. I have yeah. never heard it described that way. What, what drove you to say, because I think everybody gets a general idea of what purpose is, but to think God put me here with skin on for these number of years to solve this problem. Where did that come from for you? Where did that, that thought of what that purpose was? Well, it started out uh, in scripture. Uh, two references come to mind, particularly there's a passage in Acts where it says, mm -hmm. after David had served his generation, then he fell asleep and went to be with the Lord. In other words, for every second that David was breathing breath here on earth, God had purpose for his life. And that means that God has not left us here on earth because he's not finished renovating heaven. He's left us here That's on right. earth because there's a purpose that he has for us. Here's another great thought. You have the children of Israel. They're in captivity in Egypt as slaves. The Bible says that they began to cry out to God for their freedom. Watch this. God never responded to their prayer. That's right. Here's a people saying, God, we've got a problem. And God never responds. Instead, he goes to Moses and he said, there's a people that say they have a problem. And Moses, you are my solution to that problem. Go and tell them I sent you. So people cry out for a problem. God doesn't send an answer. He sends a person. Mm. Mm. And listen, it don't take a genius to look around the earth and see problems everywhere. Yep. There's diseases that have not yet had cures that were found for them. There, there's, there's tech problems. There's government problems. There's education problems. There are financial problems. And I dare say God is not going to speak a solution. He's going to send a person that he's ordained to be the solution to that problem. Drop mic, leave stage, that's money. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it, it's so funny, the the David is what this whole podcast is built off of. David served his purpose in his mm. generation and fell asleep. Finding that yeah. is a whole nother ball game. And it you, is. You, you, you follow that up and you say, your genius is your God-given advantage that sets you apart from the pack. When God created everybody, he did not create everybody with the same. And we always say in the church world gifts. I love the phrase genius. How does a person, and you went through a couple key things. How does a person yeah. find their genius? How do they find what it is God made them to do? That's different than everybody else. Absolutely. So I, I think, this is one of the greatest ceilings to people maximizing their potential because we live in a culture, particularly because of television, social media, and the internet, where we have so much access to other people's success yep. that we waste a lot of time coveting somebody else's skill set instead of developing our own. So here's my thought. You don't find your genius your genius finds you. Mm. And, and one of the problems with your personal genius is it's a genius to everybody else but you. 
it's natural to you because you've always had it. So, for example, all of us may look at LeBron James, the greatest basketball player ever to live, and <laughs> and see, like, man, the way that he can fly at this point, the way that he can stay healthy at that yep. age is amazing. I don't think it's amazing to LeBron. I think LeBron is like, it's just me. Yep. Now, he knows he's exceptional when he compares himself to others, but he doesn't wake up every morning and say, man, I've got crazy hops. He wakes up saying, hey, this is just how God made me. So how does my genius find me? A, a couple of thoughts. What is it that you notice in every room that you walk into? If people are your genius, you're going to notice the people that are not connected. You're going to walk in a room and see that person sitting over in the corner by themselves. Yep. And you're, I've seen it with so many connectors. You're going to make a beeline to that person by themselves. And within three minutes, you've pulled them into the conversation. You've pulled them into what everybody else is doing. You'll have the person that their genius is systems and they'll walk in like you've, you've probably been in this situation where you go to a dinner or event or somebody like that, something like that. And somebody walks in the room and they just take over and it's not even their event. And you're like, Hey, I think we should serve the hors d'oeuvres now. And where's this? And where's that? And where's this? And it's like, who is this pushy person? Now they need to control their genius just yep. a little, little bit more. But they're a systems person. That's right. And they see an inefficiency in the system that's being ran. And they have now anointed themselves to fix the system that nobody <laughs> asked them to fix. But your genius, I mean, it comes alive in every room that you walk into. Here's another thought. We talk in the church world about your gifting. Some people mm -hmm. are gifted communicators, gifted with systems, gifted with tech, gifted with whatever. When you think about a gift, a gift is something that you give away. A good gift is something that people are excited when they receive it. A great gift is something that people are willing to spend a lot of money on because they know it's going to bring a lot of value to their life. What as a leader, when you give it away, people are really excited to receive it. Hmm. What as a leader do people constantly come to you for and ask for more of? Mm -hmm. What, as a leader, are people willing to pay you a lot of money to do for them? They're paying you for your gift. They're telling you what your genius is. And if you will just pay attention to, what are people constantly coming to me for? Where do I get praised by other great yeah. leaders the most for. Where are people willing to pay me? Here's the key. A lot of money. Yep. Not your grandma. Oh, baby, I just love what you sing. Here's $10. Your grandma can't sing, so she can't tell you you can sing. That's right. That's right. But what are people willing to do anything they can do to get you to come do that for them? That's a major key to your gifting. Your list that you just hit in the book, it's so good. And as leaders walk through this, I think it's going to, it's sort of like you've got some really good clothes in the closet. They're just under some clutter. You got to get rid of the clutter to find the good clothes. I mean, Pastor yeah. Sue, you did a phenomenal job painting a picture of what we all could be. I, I got a final question for you today. I began this podcast asking you what your dad did right. And your parents mm -hmm. did a lot, your mom and dad did a lot right in your life for you to turn out like you did. 
if your children are ever sitting on somebody's whatever the form of podcast exists 20 years from now, Lord only knows where technology is going, but whatever they're doing. And somebody says, tell me about your dad. Your dad wrote a great book. Your dad led a great church. Your mom and dad had a great marriage. What do you want your children one day to say about you? I'm a preacher, so I got to give you three points and a benediction. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I want first and foremost my kids to say my dad loved Jesus and he loved us so well. I, I, I think, man, if you accomplish great things and you run over people and you neglect your relationship with God, the Bible says, what is a profit of man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul in the mm. process? Um, I want my kids to say, my dad believed in me. The last chapter in the book talks about how possibly your greatest impact on this earth could be how you set the next generation up to win. It can be argued the best thing David did with his life was fund the call of God on his son Solomon's life. That's right. Because that temple that Solomon built that is talked about all the way to the end of the Bible was funded by David's stewardship and saving and preparing for his son to carry on his legacy. And then the final thing I hope, and this is maybe a little bit of regret from my own life, I hope my kids say, my dad helped me develop my gifts Mm. and my call. And he helped me discover what God made unique about me. I spent now I'm only 35. So to say I wasted most of my life (laughs) might be a slight exaggeration, but I spent a lot of my life despising my gifts and saying, Oh, I'm not this big personality and charismatic like this person, or I'm not as articulate. I spent a lot of time wishing I was somebody else Instead of realizing, man, God's put great things inside of me. And when I focus and maximize what he's placed inside of me, I will accomplish great things. Wasn't that so good? You know, it's one of those things you think, okay, I should know this. But yet I even find myself at times hesitating, pausing, and not moving on when God is tapping me on the shoulder. And and I don't know what I'm waiting on permission for. But man, so, so good. I hope this has been timely in your journey. If it has and it's speaking to you, if you'll stop, uh, push pause and go leave a rating and review, it would mean the world to me. And it really does help other listeners find their way to this podcast. Well, our next episode is going to be another great one from BJ Thompson talking about awakening a better you, that you are a better version that sometimes you give yourself credit for. And what does it mean to come to that crisis of belief to make that change? And that's what we're going to talk about in our next episode. Well, thanks again for joining me today. Now go be the leader that you were created to be in the space and place that God has put you. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.